0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 27th. We begin with the upcoming deadline to file your taxes for 2021. We catch up with tax professional Jeremy Clark of CH Financial for what you need to know this year.
1: Next, we get the latest on the war in Ukraine, specifically how concerned we should be about Russia using nuclear weapons as the conflict continues in the region we discuss with Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies, Dalhousie University.
0: Alberta's tourism industry is optimistic for the upcoming summer holiday season. We speak with Darren Reeder of the Tourism Industry Association of Alberta about the challenges facing the hospitality sector as demand ramps up.
1: And finally, did you know that our city has a designated poet laureate? We meet Wakefield Brewster, Calgary's official poet laureate, to hear his story, what it means to him to hold such a title, and, of course, to hear some of his original poetry. As we get close to the 2021 tax filing deadline, this year could be one of the most interesting filing years in recent memory. With details, we are joined by Jeremy Clark, CEO and president of CH Financial. Good morning to you, Jeremy. Good morning, Andy. How are you today? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Could be a bit of a loaded question off the start here. What is different about the 2021 tax year, Jeremy? I think the main
2: difference for 2021 is that we uh, we Canadians have had a variety of, of benefit programs, including CERB and other such programs for people that... Uh, Their employment was affected during COVID. And also we've had a number of people as a result, perhaps um, working from home, uh, having sporadic income, uh, and thus uh, they've become uh, small businesses without really realizing it. So there's quite a bit of uh, quite a a few moving parts this year, for sure.
0: So, Jeremy, with that working from home, does that give you a, a lot of benefits?
2: It does it gives you either a, a fixed rate benefit which is a certain amount per day up to 500 dollars per year um or you can actually uh file a business schedule which uh people have been able to do for a number of years and that is they take all their income they've earned from self-employment and then you can deduct uh, any real reasonable cost associated with that um, including things like it computer uh parking meals and so forth so um, there's a simple way to do it, and there's the, the more complicated way to do it. Um, and essentially, you are treating yourself like your own small business.
1: Jeremy, those who love tax time as much as I love tax time know that April 30th has always been on the calendar. So can you give, a, give us some clarification about the unique dates this year? Because normally it's April 30th. I know that falls on a Saturday, so we have now until May 2nd to submit them, uh, but how does this work if I owe money? Do I still have to have that money in by the 30th, or does that include the May 2nd deadline now?
2: Yeah, and first of all, Andrew, I think everyone loves tax, so I I always just assume that every year, (laughs) uh, you you included. Um, But but yes, uh, April 30th is indeed on a weekend, which means uh, people have until the end of of the day on May 2nd to pay any amount they have owing uh, and also to get their taxes filed. And By end of day, technically, that means 11.59 p.m. in your local time zone. So 11.59 mountain time in, in our case in Calgary.
0: So, Jeremy, if COVID did affect us this year, whether it was with CERB or maybe working from home a little bit, is it time maybe just this one year, if people don't normally, to bite the bullet and have someone do your taxes for you properly just to try and get everything back that you possibly can?
2: I think it's a good idea. Um, really when you look at things like a business schedule, it is, it's is—it's something that a lot of people have never seen before. And effectively, it's a business return embedded in a personal tax return. So you have all these pages open up that uh, that you haven't seen before. And as I mentioned earlier, there's also the choice between this simplified method and this more detailed method. And um, either one can be effective. It might even be worth having a look look at it both ways. Um, so yes, I, I think that's certainly worthwhile to to have a have a chat with a professional.
1: Let's talk about that cost benefit ratio, Jeremy. In that, if I've always had that twenty nine dollar program on my computer versus going to a tax professional, how confident are you that a tax professional could get you more dollars than doing them yourself on a computer? I,
2: I am I'm pretty confident that's the case. Like I can never say one hundred hundred percent confident. Um, and and there there are those people who actually really do enjoy doing their own taxes. And there's so much good software out there. Um, certainly us professionals don't have the market cornered on, on good tax programs. But I think what a professional gives you and what we try to do at CH is a, a broader perspective in terms of, you know, we see hundreds of tax returns every year. And we can, we can hopefully steer people in the right direction, maybe find some credits they weren't, uh, they weren't aware of or, or some deductions they weren't aware of.
0: Jeremy, you know, I've always been curious when I hear people say, oh, I got audited. What triggers an audit? What is it that happens? Is it often people doing their own taxes or getting a professional to do it?
2: Uh, generally, that, that part doesn't uh, really apply to an audit. What CRA is usually looking at are, are patterns of numbers, as, as you can imagine. Um, uh, one of the big ones they take a look at on a regular basis is charitable donations. Another one is medical expenses, Uh, and if you think of the reason behind that, these are not official T-slips that are being issued by these groups, and so it's not something CRA has easy access to, and it provides people with a pretty significant deduction. So generally, those two things will will trigger what's called a level one audit, and level one is just really a very simple request for information. Can you prove this number? And if they're happy with your answer, it doesn't branch out beyond that. So when people talk about a big audit, those are quite rare, and, are, and it's usually based on a number of things that CRA is seeing over a period of time that just don't make sense or you haven't answered the questions properly.
1: We've circled the calendar for May 2nd at 1159 to get our taxes in to you know, avoid penalty, but the other date that came to mind was, well, a while back, March 1st, for the RSP deadline, and I know that a lot of people, last-minute Larry's and Laura's say, oh, I should have thought about this. And they look at taking the loans and such. But something that you do, and I know this is your business, strategic planning through the year so you don't get bit by something like that. So how important is it not just to look at that deadline coming up on May 2nd, but look ahead to next year?
2: I think it's always important to look throughout the year at what are the the critical times coming up. You know, for example, uh, some people are in a position where they have to make quarterly installment payments. And those are pretty predictable quarterly payments that they're supposed to be making. Things like December 31st, where that's the deadline if you want to make charitable donations that apply to that year, or you want to sell capital losses to apply to the current year. And, of course, like you said, the RSP deadline, which is generally March 1st every year. And that's really the only, of the, the only one of those deadlines which you can apply retroactively. Most of the deadlines occur in the given tax year itself. So that's why the March 31 or the March 1st, sorry, is kind of a weird one, and that it happens the year after the tax year.
0: Just looking at the website, uh, chfinancial.ca, tons of information, lots of good stuff on there. Uh, you know, and really, is it, is it expensive? I think maybe for a lot of people, I, I would assume the majority of people have somebody kind of looking at their finances. But would you say, is it expensive or is it very affordable for someone to have sort of basic financial planning if they don't have that in their world right now?
2: i think it is a very affordable thing like generally a lot of good tax professionals um are going to charge you a few hundred dollars not a few thousand dollars to have a look at your taxes so it's the kind of thing that the cost generally is not going to get away from you on it and again as i said earlier having that perspective which which any professional can can bring to their area of expertise i think is a really important thing um and, and you know sense of calmness and also We we also handle any kind of information requests. So I talked about that level one audit earlier. Um, Generally, most clients aren't even aware that they've been asked these questions because the questions come to us as a professional and we answer them. So most people aren't even aware this is happening. And hence, there's really no stress for them to say, oh, my goodness, CRA, uh, they're asking all these questions. What's going on? Um, we, We take that pressure right off of
1: them. Jeremy, thanks again. A very timely topic. Thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. That is Jeremy Clark, CEO and president of CH Financial. Find out what he does online at chfinancial.ca. I also, I want to mention this, uh, You know, Sue, before we uh, toss the break here. Uh, what do you do? Yeah. Do you file them yourselves? Do you use the home software? Or do you you know, get a pen and paper and do it the old-fashioned way?
0: Used to do it the old-fashioned way. Now I have someone, an accountant, you who does someone. it. And it doesn't, again, it does not cost a lot. It doesn't have to if you've got a pretty simple filings you know if you if you mm-hmm. don't have a lot if you're not a biz, uh, you know a small business owner for example just an everyday person it doesn't cost you a lot no. and it's far more relaxing to have somebody else do it I'm not a numbers person I don't like it and they are way smarter than I am so be why smart. not let somebody do it
1: Is the conflict in Ukraine escalating and could we be on the verge of another global conflict? With insight, we are joined by Robert Hewish, associate professor in international development studies, Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, Robert.
3: Good morning, folks. Great to great to
1: have a chat with you. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, can you tell us what we know about the recent meeting between President Putin and UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres? Well,
3: yeah, that that meeting was uh, was jolted uh, at, at very best. If anything we see a a meeting that that took place where Russia is very clearly not in a position of making friends around the world. Uh, The the concern from the United Nations is that the rhetoric coming out of Russia is not one about trying to defend itself or trying to put an end to this conflict. If anything, uh, Mr. Putin continues to escalate and escalate this rhetoric further and further uh, th- th- to a point where other nations may be, may be at risk of, of this sort of aggression. And it was really a, a, a scolding uh, in one direction and not much of a, uh, a time for Russia to, to present its case effectively to the international community.
0: You know, and as you say, Professor, others suffering as well. We know this morning that uh, Russia's state-run energy company cutting off natural gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. So really taking aim at other European countries that are supporting Ukraine in this war.
3: Exactly. And, and Poland uh, and, and Bulgaria are, are part of, of NATO. They're, they're in that club. And the other country that uh, still depends heavily on Russian gas, of course, is Germany. And that's where we've seen uh, that this, this sort of underlying tension build up to this, this conflict, is that it's been a, a test between what the West is, is saying in terms of decrying Russia, but also realizing that there are parts of Europe that are very deeply dependent upon Russian gas supply. So now there's some quick scrambling to say uh, if Russia were to turn the taps off completely to Europe, uh, it would really devastate uh, the, the energy and, and, and crisis in, in Germany. Uh, would there be alternatives that could back it up? And if that's the case, then that link would be severed, and uh, this this sort of you know face off between the West and Russia could continue. The the one thing that I, I'm concerned more and more is that we we're seeing these sort of escalating actions come in step by step by both Russia. And by the West, by by NATO-led countries, and it's not something that has any indication of cooling down. Um, I, I don't know if you remember the the old uh, Stanley Kubrick movie, The uh, Doctor Strangelove, from the nineteen sixties. In that movie, it was all about you know leading towards nuclear war. They had a uh, they had a forty four step escalation plan, and it seemed ridiculous uh, because forty four steps. Who can remember and count that? But the message of that was that. When you sort of keep escalating notch and notch up towards this aggression, what seemed impossible only a few weeks ago is now accepted. And then it just keeps going in that direction. Uh, and that is something that I think uh, world leaders are, are conscious of, that the, the rhetoric that's coming out of Moscow is not one that's seeking peace. It is seeking to create a very different
1: world. Speaking with Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies, Dalhousie University. To that point, Robert, uh, the nuclear war rhetoric that we're hearing seems to be ramping up from Russia, and I'm wondering, should we be more concerned three months in with this rhetoric, or are we beyond being as concerned as we were the first couple of weeks?
3: Yeah, I I believe that when this, this war broke out, uh, it took a lot of advisors and a lot of governments by surprise to, to even think that you would have this sort of cross border war break out. We we just we haven't seen anything like that since World War II, really. Um, and and to to also not take Mr. Putin's threats of nuclear response seriously would be a big mistake. So my guess right now is that as the uh, the Americans held a, a meeting yesterday in Germany. To round up a, a wide collection of nations to say, here's what our intelligence is showing, and here's what we, we think our capabilities are. Uh, the the threat of, of a nuclear attack is is there. I mean, it's not unthinkable anymore, and this is uh, this is something that we are we're, we're going to have to be prepared for, because there's there's been no way of keeping Mr. Putin really in check until now. So his, his behavior can be more erratic, more aggressive. We've seen that uh, evidence of war crimes coming out of Ukraine. And the question is, is there a limit to this guy? Uh, will he stop and become rational? Usually, leaders like this who are, are bent on pursuing uh, this sort of conflict do not stop. They keep going, especially when they know that they're, they're morally unjust and that they started this under very miscalculated circumstances.
0: And professor, we keep hearing the term "World War III" being bantied about. So, do you think we are on the doorstep of that, or can you consider this what's happening now?
3: It's you know, it's certainly a, a very delicate moment, and I'm, I couldn't predict accurately what we were, what we could expect to see the world politic look like by the summer. But what we are seeing right now is that the, the Western nations and we're, you know Germany, the U.S., Britain, Scandinavian nations are taking this very seriously and trying to basically support ukrainian forces in any means possible without really identifying that those forces are in the country uh providing that assistance against russia and that's that's what we're seeing here so right now the 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 goal is to keep supporting ukraine the americans are, are starting to think that there is a way to to find victory uh, in, this, in this conflict. Uh, and we're seeing that there's more uh, military hardware coming into Ukraine and specifically the type of hardware that can be produced and manufactured in Western nations and not in Russia, which was what Ukraine's military originally relied on. So that supply is coming in, trying to bolster that, but not trying to escalate it to a point where War breaks out on another border. So, say with Poland or Finland, uh, or 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 Estonia or Belarus, anywhere in there where there's a, there's an expansion of this conflict. Uh, I think what we're going to see here is that if if Russia, you know, sort of wins this war, uh, there there just won't be a Ukraine anymore. And if Ukraine win, wins this war, there will not be there will be a new type of Russia. And that's what. I think military leaders have to think about this is not just get Russia out of Ukraine and stop it. It's going to have to be a sort of strategy to say, how can there be deep reforms in Russia so that this cannot happen again? And that is that's 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 ultimately aggression. So we are we're, we're going to see a very conflictual 2022 no matter what happens here.
1: We are watching history unfold in front of our eyes. Robert, thank you for your time.
3: My pleasure. Great to talk to you.
1: Good stuff. That's Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies from Dalhousie University.
0: It's been a long couple of years. So is Alberta's tourism industry ready for a busy tourism summer season? It's been tough for sure. We know that. Let's get some details on how prepped the industry is as we're joined this morning by Darren Reeder, Tourism Industry Association of Alberta's Board Advisor. Good morning to you, Darren. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. We know the pandemic was very, very difficult, obviously. So do you think the tourism industry as a whole is ready to come back, to bounce back? Are the, the people in place and, and the money ready there?
4: You know what? The process has started. I mean, I think there's a tremendous amount of optimism at the moment. Uh, the, the relaxation of a lot of restrictions is what this industry has been looking for a signal on. We've received that. Uh, consumer uh, competence is increasing. We're seeing that manifest in terms of book travel increases in air capacity and routes that are being flown so you know what it's been the most predictable form of business recovery we've seen in the past two years and it's going to be the first summer most importantly in two summers lost that we're going to have international visitors in the market really contributing to the recovery of our industry so as optimistic as we've been in two years for certain
1: what sort of challenges now darren do these uh, businesses and does the industry face as tourists flock to our province this summer i can I'll only assume outside looking in, then ramping up has got to be a bit of a challenge.
4: 100%. You know, this would be perhaps the first time we would really say we have a supply, not a demand issue. When we look at past economic uh, events, so global financial crisis, SARS, 9-11, uh, the industry rebounded relatively quickly. But this is the first time we're struggling substantially on the supply side. So labor that has left the market, that is not necessarily coming back. I mean, many of the uh, businesses, I mean, if you look at across the tourism and hospitality landscape, about two-thirds of them, I would say 60% of the staff they had pre-pandemic remain with them. But sectors like food and beverage, uh, certainly because they were subject to a lot more of the impacts of these rolling restriction chains, lost a lot more than that. And I think cumulatively, if we look at the impact for our industry across the system at a national level, We're looking at potentially up to 10 years to rebuild a labor force. This really speaks to a number of issues. There's systemic labor challenges we have because we've not, as an industry done a good job of creating a culture around the reasons you would get into this industry and make a lifelong career about it. But the other piece that we've now had provincial recognition on and federal in the last week with respect to the uh, contribution of foreign labor is is that this is an important part to supporting our labor market needs. And now we have more certainty in how we can access that program than, quite frankly, we've had in many years.
0: Can we look at debt and, and see you know what businesses are having to do in that sense? Are they being forced to increase debt in order to retain or get new staff? Maybe stock shortages particularly, and the, the just the rising prices that we're all experiencing?
4: Yeah, you know, there's two issues there. There's, there's debt and, of course, supply chain. So on the debt side, we've certainly seen an exponential increase in debt taken on by tourism and hospitality businesses. Surveys have been done across the SME sector, But within the SME sector, tourism and hospitality, food and beverage specifically, has probably been the one that has taken on the greatest debt. I think CFIB had done a study some months ago that indicated it was about 150000 That's perhaps not the exact math uh, of average debt that small businesses have piled on since COVID had started. But we know with the food and beverage sector, it's over double that amount. And in fact, part of what we learned through a recent survey we did was 34% of businesses increased their COVID-related debt in 2021 over 2020 by at least an additional 50%. So the issue for recovery here is really that it could take one to three years to pile out from under that COVID debt. Now the other issue you mentioned which is equally important is uh, managing the impacts of supply chain brokenness. Um, we're very concerned about you know, the rising costs of inputs, certainly in food and beverage areas, uh, with proteins, uh, supply chain disruptions. These things all matter greatly. And quite frankly, they crowd out the ability for a lot of businesses to be able to invest in important areas of the business, like infrastructure and hiring back labor or investing more in their labor force.
1: Darren, thanks for the discussion this morning. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's Darren Reeder, Tourism Industry Association of Alberta's Board Advisor. Well, did you know that Calgary has a Poet Laureate? And what goes into this role? With details, we are joined by Calgary's newest Poet Laureate, Wakefield Brewster. Good morning to you, Wakefield.
5: Good morning, good people. Thank you for having me. How are you doing?
1: Good. We appreciate you spending some time with us right and early in the morning here. And, uh, you know, as far as the the title, Poet Laureate, what does that mean to you and, and how did you make it to this role?
5: this role primarily, I believe, because I am such a present poet. I'm very public. I make over a 100 appearances a year, every year, for the last 22 years. And when you put poetry out there for the people the way that I do, I believe it garnishes a lot of interest, a lot of momentum, a lot of favoritism for people who are advocates for literacy, and finally landed me in the position of Calgary's sixth poet laureate.
0: And Wakefield, what kind of poems do you write? What do you focus on? Do you have sort of a, a target that, that you're at usually when you write
5: or speak? It would seem that um, I have... Uh, it looks like I've been called a social poet. People have called me a slam poet, a performance poet, all kinds of poets, sometimes good poet, But it right. would seem that it is social poet that is beginning to be the tag with my name because I write about the goings on of everyday life around me. I don't write out my rainbows and unicorns and I don't write from places that I don't relate to. I believe I'm an average person in this world, so I write about the average living in this world, and I try to see outside my world as much as possible. My attempt is to listen to the world effectively enough to earn the moments to speak
1: back to it. Okay, you mentioned that you make a lot of stops throughout a year, you know, demonstrating your craft. I'm wondering how that's going to change and what your responsibilities will be over the next little while.
5: To make some appearances on behalf of the city, and have poetry performed, uh, written original pieces for certain events that will happen throughout the year, things like Canada Day, big public events. And with the other duties that will entail being present, pushing poetry, making it, making it something that is for everyone. i always used the phrase poetry is for the people. I'm going to have a lot of access and I'll be able to put poetry in places people don't expect it. It is for everyone, and I would like the opportunity to simply prove that.
0: Wakefield, I hope we're not putting you on the spot with this, but as Calgary's new Poet Laureate, could you share one of your works with us?
5: Typically, my works take about three to five minutes. Could you
0: All give right. us a, a, a little segment of one then? We'd I've just actually, love to get a taste of it. I rewrite. actually
5: have a really short one that I wrote for for the inaugural um, for, for being sworn in as the Port Laureate. Perfect. So this one's only about a minute long. Perfect. And it is titled Let Words Lead. <laughs> Indulge the age of information, sharing sage and story. Narry go through prim and proper pompous oratory with healing hearts and soothing souls plus empathy minds securing starts to garnish goals for futuristic signs let's educate and elevate investing true intention remembering to credit all with honorable mentions. Amidst our broken systems to most hallowed institutions, we shall learn to value all of such linguistic contributions. As ways of East and West in health and wellness made their unity, we champion healing through the arts in curing our community. The world of words is wondrous in deliberate display, for preceding every action language manifests the way The narratives of negatives now need to be negated. Revival of resilience on request and reinstated by recitation and reflection. Let each voice be heard with the power that is poetry and the art of spoken word.
1: Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Wakefield. We appreciate your time and best of luck in your new role. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you so very much. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Thank you.
1: Wakefield Brewster, Calgary's new Poet Laureate. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
0: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
1: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.